Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21-plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? In the season's worst conditions, winter tires are a game changer. They elevate traction, control, and confidence. They sell only the best, like the full line of hand-cooked tires. Go to TireRack.com slash sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to your one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit Geico.com for a free rate quote as well. When you're hiring, you don't want to waste time sorting through dozens of irrelevant resumes. You want an efficient way to get to a short list of qualified candidates. That's why you need Indeed.com. Post a job in minutes, set up screener questions based on your job requirements, then zero in on qualified candidates using an intuitive online dashboard. Discover why 3 million businesses use Indeed for hiring. Post a job today at Indeed.com slash hire. Search for greatness Search, indeed. We're down to the tail end of the NBA season. Uh, And if you look, this is kind of when I think you can start to pay attention to what the overall standings look like. And if you look at the the playoff standings right now, uh, then the question in the West, I think, is straightforward. Uh, Houston is probably going to have overall home court advantage given the fact that Golden State has ended up with a lot of uh, injuries down the stretch here. I don't think ever since they set the record that the Warriors have really been uh, that concerned with what their regular season record is. So if their guys come back healthy, they're in pretty good shape. And I don't think anybody's sitting around at Golden State saying, oh my God, the difference between playing the uh, New Orleans or playing Minnesota is going to be substantial in the first round, all of those things. So I think it's fair to say that in the Western Conference is going to come down to Houston and Golden State. The Eastern Conference is, I think, a total mess. And this, once more, is a test of whether the regular season matters at all in the NBA. 
my argument is the NBA regular season is a complete waste of time because you probably know who the top teams are already. And so everything that happens over the course of the NBA regular season doesn't even matter. We saw that last year with the way the Cavs played down the stretch. Then they flipped a switch when they got to the playoffs and everything went flawlessly. Now, the Cleveland Cavaliers right now are slotted in with 70 games played. So there's 12 games left in the season. They are slotted in at the three spot. It's almost impossible to see them moving anywhere north, right? I mean, they're not going to catch the Celtics unless the Celtics lose every game pretty much from here on out. They're clearly nowhere near uh, the Toronto, okay? They've already uh, basically been eliminated there. The question is, how far down are they going going to fall? Because they are only a game and a half up on ending up in sixth place. Now, uh, you know, the funny thing is, if you fell all the way to eighth, that's basically the equivalent of the one seed if you're good enough to beat the one seed, right? So we're not going to fall all the way to eighth. But this Ty Lue story is to me a great example of just a messy, strange story. If you're not familiar, yesterday afternoon, Ty Lue uh, announced that he was taking a leave of absence for health-related reasons. And then they put out a bunch of different things that have been going on with him. He's been having trouble sleeping. He's been having chest pains. Uh, he's been spitting up blood. Uh, and they can't figure out what the ma- what's the matter with him despite a, uh, a battery of tests. Well, that sounds strange. Uh, but it sounds particularly strange when you hear that Ty Lue tweeted or texted, sorry, texted Rachel Nichols that he hopes to only be out for one week. Am I the only person who looks at this and says, what? What in the world is actually going on here? Maybe it's a coincidence that LeBron and Ty Lue got into it on the sideline a few days ago during the midst of a loss, and that now Ty Lue is going to take a week off uh, for uh, for health-related reasons. But everything surrounding the Cavs always seems so dramatic. There's always, I would say, with LeBron James, a fall guy. Remember how long Kevin Love was the fall guy? Everything that happened was Kevin Love's fault. And then Kevin Love got hurt, and when Kevin Love wasn't playing, everybody started to say, you know what? All the Cavs need now is for Kevin Love to get back healthy. Well, Kevin Love is back now in time for the close of the Cavs' regular season, and now Ty Lue has become the new fall guy. And all of this plays out amid the drama of where LeBron James is going to play next year. And right now, there's a three-way race to try to go get LeBron. It seems like the Cavs certainly are in the mix. Uh, this is according to the offshore odds. The Houston Rockets and the LA Lakers. And all three of those teams are angling to try to do whatever they can to get LeBron James. But to me, this Ty Lue story is a real mess. What, in, what is the truth here? Because you know as well as I do that most of the time when you cite health-related conditions... People don't ask difficult questions. If you say you've got a health-related condition, people typically just take a step back and say, oh man, I hope you get well. Because the teams know it, and the media are not really willing to go plumb the details. So when I saw this story, I'm going to be honest with you, my first thought is this is something to do with, uh, with internal team discord. 
this is not suddenly that Ty Lue is uh, is legitimately sick. And then I also thought it was strange that then he's saying he's going to be back in a week. If you're really sick, if you're unable to sleep, and if you've got a uh, chest pains, and if you're occasionally spitting up blood, that doesn't sound like something that gets resolved in a week. Now, look, I'm not a doctor. I know nothing in the grand scheme of things about medicine. My best advice for every... Here's how I fix every piece of technology that doesn't work. I say turn it off and then turn it back on. Do you know what my number one go-to move whenever somebody's not feeling well to tell them to feel well is? Sleep more. I'm not kidding. I think that sleep is our body's natural way to heal. I think if you aren't feeling well, the number one thing you can do is get on a regular sleep pattern. And so I'm reading all these articles about Ty Lu, and you know who gave the exact same advice as me? Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr said, yeah, you know, I think he probably needs to sleep more. And everybody's weighing in on Ty Lu's health. Uh, let me bring in the crew. Is it wrong to see this story and be immediately suspicious that this is truly health-related when it comes to the Cavs? If this were another team then maybe I would not be as suspicious. But the Cavs seem to exist almost entirely in the world of drama. There's always something going on with this team. There's always something being rumored. There's always something uh, being posted on Instagram or something being posted uh, on some other social media feed. They never can completely just be a normal team I understand that LeBron brings with him more attention than other guys might, but this whole thing, when I saw it, just seemed suspicious. Fair or foul to see this story and not believe that it's on its face what they are saying it is, Jason Martin? I mean, I could see why you would, and I mean, I kind of did too. I didn't know that Tyron Lue had left three games this season and not been able to finish coaching the games because of whatever this is when I found that out that gave me at least a little bit more credibility to that side of the story I also found it interesting that this is now the second person this year that has cited some kind of a strange health situation or anxiety because not just Tyron Lue but yes Kevin Love's missed a lot of games because of injury this season but he's also written an article for the Players Tribune over the last two or three minutes talking about anxiety so this is the second person that's relatively close to LeBron James, who seems to be having stress issues <laughs> as part of the Cleveland Cavaliers. That was the other thing that I thought about. What about you guys in L.A.? Fair or foul when you <laughs> see this story? And, and I would say this. When I saw that he was going to come back in a week, it made me question it even more because that seems, if you're legitimately sick, if you legitimately have an issue, and the other thing I thought of was Urban Meyer because this, the symptoms sound at least if you read those stories from when Urban Meyer was at Florida, the symptoms sound very similar to what Urban Meyer said was bothering him when he was at Florida. He had trouble sleeping. Uh, he, his wife called the hospital after uh, – took sent him to the hospital after the SEC title game loss to Nick Saban in Alabama. Um, you know, he takes off a year, and then suddenly he comes back, and then what do they say? That he had some sort of acid reflux condition, and they – treated it with medication and now suddenly everything's fine that sounds strange to me too but I don't begin to understand what makes one person healthy and what makes one person unhealthy but the idea that all of this could be true 
and then Ty Lue is like, but I'm going to be back in a week. That seems really strange to me. Yeah, Clay, I'll say it since we're all thinking it in all of our studios. LeBron gave Tyron Lue some Kurt Schilling ketchup packets and said, all right, sorry, I'm going to have to suspend you for one week for talking back to me, homie, and here's some ketchup packets to spit out some fake blood. It's not oh, it, I mean I just I, I, I hope just, he's okay. I, I hope it's nothing, but it just it uh, none of it adds up. It's very strange. It's also very strange when you consider that the Cavs are home for the next 3 weeks. I mean, sorry, not next 3 games. So, obviously they won last night. Uh they're home against the Raptors on uh, the 21st and then they're home against the Suns on the 23rd. Again, not a doctor, not an expert. But this would seem like the lowest possible stress kind of time. If I were Ty Lue and I were going to take time off, wouldn't it make more sense for him to take time off when the team is on the road and having to travel all over the country? I mean, again, I've, I've had jobs where you travel all over the country. It seems to me that if you want to get well, the best time to get well is not to get back on a plane in a couple of days on the 23rd or whatever and start to travel across the country again. Something in this story just doesn't make sense at all. And again, the fact that it comes on the heels right after Ty Lue and LeBron got into it on the sideline makes it seem that much stranger. Uh, I, I I don't know exactly what is going on here, but I know that if you blame health, most people just don't actually look into the details. They give you the benefit of the doubt. So if you were going to find a reason why this needs to happen, uh, that would be a pretty good excuse, the health-related concerns. And by the way, this also could be partly health-related and partly team dynamic-related that the GM and the head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers, LeBron James, is upset about something and Ty Lue basically suspended himself. Ty Lue could not be healthy. I don't think that people look at coaches and think, you know what? That coaching profession seems like it's the healthiest way that you can take care of your body. I think everybody out there would say, man, these guys don't sleep very much. They travel. How many coaches do you see on the sidelines and they look impeccable and incredibly healthy? How many coaches look like they got eight hours of sleep the night before they were coaching? How many of them look like perfectly trim and and great shape? I mean, I don't think that coaching is a, in general, is a job that a person who wants to have a normal lifestyle embraces. And by the way, giving you a roadmap of where we're headed on today's show. Hour two, I'll ask Bruce Pearl about this. Has he ever had any major health-related concerns? Auburn's men basketball coach, they won the first round, they lost the second round. He's going to come on and break down the uh, the rest of the NCAA tournament with us uh, as we move into the Sweet 16. Uh, Bruce Pearl will be, uh, will be with us in hour two. In hour three... We will talk with my guy, Petros Papadakis. By the way, in hour one, up next, we'll talk with my guy, Lance Taylor, at the Lance Taylor. Uh, and he is going to join us next on the show, and I'll ask him all these questions as well. That's the roadmap. Go ahead and set it up. Make sure you download the show. Seek us out on iTunes. You can search out the term OutKick. You'll find us. You'll download it. And hopefully you will love the show. All that and more still to come. Do you buy into the Ty Lue, uh story? We will talk with Lance Taylor about that and more. I... I'm Clay Travis. This is Outkick the Coverage. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want. 
so you can recognize a good price. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience as well. Make a train will stop if it sees your car on the tracks. You're right, it will. About a mile after it hits you, stop. Trains can't. We bring in my guy Lance Taylor at the Lance Taylor on Twitter. Uh, LT, what do you think when you what did you think when you saw the news about Ty Lue taking a leave of absence for health related reasons? You know, not a big Ty Lue guy. Um, you know, I grew up a Lakers fan, still a big Lakers fan, and you know, played for the Lakers. Um, I don't know. There's just something that rubs me wrong about Ty Lue. You know, there's you and I get up early in the morning, and we're probably passing guys that are going to work on roofs all day in 100 degrees come summertime, um, and their job doesn't emotionally wear them down where they've got to take time off. I don't know. Um, you know, the Cavaliers are a mess. They get a win last night against the Bucks, but I don't know what to think about it, Clay. I mean, you're, look, I mean, he's, you're with he's me out last that- night. It's a great excuse to say that you don't you have a health related condition because most people when you say that it's like saying you have diarrhea when you can't come to work. Most people don't really go after the details, right? You're like, "All right, man, well, get better," right? You don't really right. dive into it. And so, it's awfully convenient that this thing happens a couple of days after you have a confrontation on the bench with LeBron James. I mean, I think most people see that and say, "Boy, this seems awful suspicious, awfully suspicious to me in terms of the timing. Well, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, Ty Lue wins the championship in 2016 when he takes over midseason for Dave Black because things didn't work out with LeBron. I mean, we've seen this narrative before. Superstar athlete doesn't get along with coach. Coach is the guy that's out. I mean, look, Larry Drew was your interim coach last night against the Bucks, and guess what? The Cavaliers win. That's mainly because LeBron James has a triple-double and Kevin Love's back for 25 quality minutes. Coaches in this league, I mean, you know, Greg Popovich aside, and, you know, um, there's been some great coaches, but I don't know how much coaching really matters. No, I mean, I've I've been asking that question for a while. I mean, in in the NBA, if LeBron your coach, would the Cavs be any worse off? I mean, I I look at this situation uh, to me, and when I hear that Ty Lue is now saying that he only wants to be out a week, the whole thing seems very strange to me because that's about the length of a suspension for a lot of guys. Um, it, it just doesn't it doesn't add up to me, and I think probably the vast majority of people out there listening feel the same way, uh, especially because if you're really sick, what is taking a week off going to do? If we're talking about oh he's got he can't sleep he's got uh, he's got chest pains uh, he's occasionally spitting up blood like if all that stuff is true. How is sitting out a week going to make you better? Yeah, and it's not. And, you know, sleep deprivation, you know what? You know what is the best for my sleep deprivation? A bottle of Silver Oaks and a bed at the Four Seasons, and that's what, <laughs> that's what he gets every night. Right. I mean, do you, you think he's looking at film 16 hours a day? I mean, come on, it's the NBA. He's got LeBron James. I mean, they're a fixture in the NBA Finals. I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, I think there's more to the story. All right, let's uh, let's shift gear here to the uh, NCAA tournament. Everybody says they want upsets, but when those upsets happen, a lot of times the Blue Bloods are the teams getting upset, and you end up with like Loyola of Chicago against Nevada and Kentucky against Kansas State, for instance. In a in a, in a one of those teams going to go to the Final Four. Are you with me that in theory upsets sound great? 
But once you get to the Sweet 16, you kind of look back and say, you know what, I wish Kentucky was playing Virginia. I'd a lot rather see that game. Or I wish Kentucky was playing maybe, uh, you know, they had played Arizona. Like, I would like to see good teams go head-to-head as opposed to teams that I'm not that interested in. Am I crazy for that opinion? No, you're not. I I think we want to see just complete madness in the first round. And then once we get to the Sweet 16, we'd like to settle in. I don't think we mind a Loyola, you know, one or two teams there. I don't think you want to see Loyola and Nevada match up, though. I mean, the Sister Jean thing, I know you're a huge fan of hers. Um, You know, it's a neat storyline if that's the one team that is the Cinderella. But when you've got five or six Cinderella's, um, it starts to dilute what you've got overall. I mean, the good news is we do. And look, the South is complete carnage. I don't have a team left in that bracket. I don't know about you. Um, I wasn't wise enough to, to play a Kentucky team that's now won nine of ten games. But I don't have one team left in the South. But the good news is we do have Kentucky. We've got Kansas. We've got Duke. We've got Villanova. So you do have some traditional powers. Um, by the way, for, uh, for people out there who have been following this story, and I think it's a crazy story, they just had a uh, package explode at the FedEx Distribution Center in Texas, hurting one person. Agents say it's likely linked to the Austin bomber down there. That story has become, it sounds like we got a new Unabomber uh, who is now uh, acting in, uh, in the city of Austin. So I hope everybody in Texas is, uh, is as safe as they can possibly be. Just want to give you an update on that. Uh, and obviously we're talking about the NCAA tournament, which is much less serious than that. But when you think about uh, about the NCAA tournament in general, LT, my argument is it's the best, most entertaining way to crown a champion, but also the worst. Because a lot of times you end up with a team that doesn't deserve to be there actually playing for the title. You agree with me? Well, we had this discussion yesterday. There's just not another way to do it. I mean, I do think it's maybe the three best overall weeks in sports. Um, but, you know, at the end of the tournament, when do we really sit back? Even when Kimball Walker leads what seemed to be an average UConn team to a national championship, I don't know when we ever sit back and say, man, they weren't really deserving of winning a national championship. Because I think maybe the most difficult thing in all of sports to do is to win these six games over these three weeks. Because even if you're a one, you know, you get by your first couple of games, you, you play a 16, you play an eight or a nine, but then you've got to win four really good games or or hotly contested games against really good teams. So I don't know another way you would crown a champion, Clay. So I think they do it the right way. And at the end of the tournament, we really never have that argument. Would you go with Nova or Duke, or would you pick another team? Because obviously Nova and Duke are on the same side of the bracket right now. Villanova has looked great in their first two games. Duke now gets to play Syracuse. I think it's hard to believe that Syracuse would pull off an upset there as well. Uh, Villanova's got a tough matchup, I think, against West Virginia, honestly, because West Virginia has looked pretty good as well. But when you look at this bracket, would you pick any other team other than those two? No. I mean, I would go heavy money. If you gave me those two even money to the field, um, I would love to have that proposition right now in Villanova or Duke. I had Duke before the tournament started. I really liked the Virginia team. It It shows you how wrong I was on the entire thing until DeAndre Hunter got hurt. Once that went down, I had Virginia still to make it to the finals and play Duke. But I've got Duke to win the national championship. Uh, The way Villanova's looked the first couple of games, though, the way they're hitting those threes, um, I might lean Villanova right now. But those are definitely your favorites. And on the other side of the bracket, I mean, I I don't even know what direction you would go in. Obviously, Kentucky coming out of the south, 
I had Gonzaga coming out uh, before the tournament. I'll, I'll still lean the Zags, although they haven't looked great in those first two games. Um, but I don't know another direction you would go other than Villanova and Duke. Yesterday we opened the show and talked about uh, a lot the uh, stake and the magnitude of the win by UMBC over Virginia. And I tried to contextualize it in biggest upsets of all time in America because we had a bunch of people wanting to come in with the EPL with Leicester City. And I said, hey, look, we're not an EPL show uh, necessarily. And the four options I gave out, you may have seen this. We had a poll question that was up and over 30,000 people voted. And it was, I gave obviously uh, UVA losing to the 16 seed at UMBC. And not just to be fair, a one losing to a 16, but the number one overall one. And it's 16 of 16, so the best team in the tournament and the worst. I gave out Tyson losing to Buster Douglas, uh, App State going on the road and beating Michigan, and the 1980 uh, Olympic ice hockey win of the U.S. over Russia. Which of those do you think is the biggest upset? Because my argument was it was Tyson, Buster Douglas, but it got the fewest votes of all four of those. Yeah, I think it's probably because your audience doesn't remember how dominant Mike Tyson was. And even if you talk to, like, true boxing traditionalists and historians, you know, they don't list Mike Tyson as one of the top 20 fighters of all time. But there was a moment in time where Mike Tyson was invincible. I mean, he was such a dominant force. And before guys even got in the ring, they were scared to death. I mean, he was knocking guys out within 30 seconds. Yes. So there was a moment in time he was the most dominant force in all of sport yeah I don't think there's any doubt with with, with that said though Clay I I probably would go what we saw this past week with the retrievers knocking off Virginia because Virginia is one of the best college defenses I've ever seen and look we knew offensively they might be challenged once they got to regional final or the final four but to lose and to lose in the fashion they did is unexplainable and so I would go Virginia's loss would be number one. Number two would be Buster Douglas because coming into that fight, that fight was over in Tokyo. I remember watching the fight live. Um, there was just no shot Mike Tyson could lose that fight. You know, the one thing I would say is it's cliche, but when you, you get two heavyweights in there, you've always got a puncher's chance, and uh, that's kind of what happened with Buster Douglas. But I would definitely go Virginia one. I would go uh, Mike Tyson two. And then probably uh, – you know, the uh, United States hockey in 1980 would be three. When you look uh, at the uh, – let's, let's go into a little bit of the uh, of the world of the NFL. Uh, we haven't talked a ton. And, 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 by, and by the way, my, my, my four, Clay, would have been uh, Evil Knievel not dying <laughs> Snake River. Yeah, I know. You're, you're obsessed with that Evil Knievel jump. Uh, when you look at all the moves that were made in NFL free agency – Obviously, the quarterbacks get all the attention, and that's where we've been focusing on. Do you think the Vikings should be the favorite in the NFC right now, given the fact they went out and got Kirk Cousins? Uh, I still think Carson Wentz is a much better quarterback. I think Carson Wentz, um, you know, sands the injury, I think will end up being the best player in the NFL over the next couple of years. So I still look at this Eagles team that won a Super Bowl, and, you know, you've got the majority and that, that nucleus coming back. Um, and, and Doug Peterson, just, I mean, the stones that guy had in the Super Bowl. So I would still lean the Eagles would be my favorite. I would put Minnesota right behind. But, hey, do this when you get a chance, and you might have already, you know, done this. Um, this is going to be the deeper, deepest conference or league we've ever seen in sports when you look at the NFC. I think you can make an argument that 
any team in the NFC could actually make the postseason this year. And it's really difficult to, to look at the top six. Some of the teams that aren't going to make the postseason this year, it's really insane to think about. I mean, you think about how, how much better the Rams got in the offseason. Yeah. But it's not a shoe and they're going to make the postseason. For a minute, I thought the Saints were the best team in the NFL last year. Um, you know, Dallas had a down year. Aaron Rodgers is going to be back. I mean, it's amazing how deep the NFC is going to be this coming year. Yeah, I was looking at that the other day because I, I do think the Vikings probably will be my favorite. But if you look at the overall moves that are being made, I think the NFC has become a lot more talented than the AFC. Because you look at the AFC, it seems like the Patriots are kind of staying pat uh, and saying, okay, we still got Tom Brady. We still feel like we're you know a team that can compete at a high caliber. Uh, but otherwise, who do you think in the AFC has just gotten orders of magnitude better. Look, I mean, Case Keenum could be okay with the Broncos. Um, I, I don't buy into the fact that the Jets are going to do much with the quarterback moves that they've made. Maybe one of these rookie quarterbacks, and that's where we'll circle back around here with you. If you were the Cleveland Browns, given the moves that have been made, the Jets have now moved up, uh, the, the Giants are sitting there at two, you've also got the fourth pick. Who is your guy? Are you going quarterback one? Well, I, I'm not going to go quarterback one. I'm still going to go Saquon Barkley because I think he is the safest thing in this draft. I know it's it's a little out there to take a running back number one overall. We've never seen that. I mean, we, the last time we saw it was 95 with Kajana Carter. Another and that didn't State. work out very well for the Bengals. Yeah, you just wonder if Kajana Carter never has that injury, what happens. And, I mean, that's one of the things that you can't project to predict is injuries, obviously, in sports. But I would go Saquon one, and then I would let the chips fall where they may at number four, and that's where I would take my quarterback. Unless you're just 1,000% sold that you've got your franchise quarterback out there. Look, there's five guys that more than likely go in this first round as quarterbacks. I don't know if any of these guys are going to be franchise guys. Here's a question for you. We know how much, like, there's the word is that Baker Mayfield has had a uh, a private investigator, like, tailing him. People are trying to figure out what exactly is going on in his personal life. Is he reliable? What does he do on a day-to-day basis? I don't, I don't necessarily doubt that stuff like that happens all the time. Do you think the Browns, through covert sources, have any idea what the Jets are going to do at three? And the reason why I ask that is this. If you knew at the top of the Jets draft board who their number one quarterback was, and let's say it's the guy that you have number three overall, that changes everything that you do, right? Because then the Browns could take Saquon Barkley because I think it's a pretty good shot the Giants would take Saquon at two. But if you know who the uh, Jets are interested in at three, then you don't even have to worry about it if it's not the same guy as you and you can go get your guy at four. So if you are the Browns, do you think they're aggressively trying to investigate and figure out and do you think they will know given all the different sources? Like, how much do they protect that draft room and how much false information do the Jets put out? Or do you think the Browns will know who number one on the Jets' board is by draft day? Yeah, if I'm the Browns, I'm trying to figure it out, Clay, because you're dead on. I mean, if, if the Jets at number three have a quarterback that's not the Browns uh, guy at the top of the draft board that they want to select it for, why wouldn't you take Saquon at the top of the draft? And I'll tell you what, if I was sweeping the floors for the uh, – the, the Jets in their draft room, and the Browns came at me and offered me a nice sum. I'd tell them exactly what was on that board. Don't you think, like, I mean, that that's there are a lot of people who know what the draft board looks like for a team. It seems crazy to me 
that you could keep it completely quiet. Like, for instance, usually the news leaks out who's going to be the number one overall draft pick before the draft pick actually takes place in the NFL or the NBA or anywhere else, right? Somebody reports it, and that's because there might be 20 guys who know what the draft board looks like. Now, certainly at the last minute, you can have a fluctuation because somebody calls and offers you a draft or trade or something like that. But by and large, that information for the Browns would be invaluable. Now, you can say, look, if we take Saquon 1, what do the Giants do? Maybe they trade out. Maybe the Bills come up. So there could still be some uncertainty about what happens there. But it seems to me like there's a lot of people now predicting that 1, 2, and 3 are all going to be quarterbacks and that the Browns, obviously, even if they're drafting, uh, thinking about drafting a quarterback, knowing what your rivals are going to do, given the fact that I think all these guys are pretty close, whether it's Darnold Rosen, uh, whether it is Josh Allen, or whether it's Baker Mayfield, it's a reasonable that any of those four could be the number one guy on a team's draft board, and it wouldn't be outside the realm of possibility. Right. It takes one team to fall in love with this with their guy. You know what's ultimately going to happen? I mean, I think we all think the Browns should go in the direction of Saquon Barkley, but there's going to be that, that one percentage of fear that their guy's going to be off the board, so they're going to end up going quarterback. Well, here's okay. my argument, LT. Here's what I said. Tell me if you think this is genius or crazy. I said if you look at college football, Georgia has brought in three straight five stars. It's not uncommon at all in college football for a team to sign multiple quarterbacks potentially in the same class. And the reason why they do that in college is because they don't know how good somebody's going to be. They let them come in. They let them compete head-to-head. And then they figure out who their guy is. And sometimes you can have really talented options, but one person just is better. Jake Fromm beat out, it appears, certain. Maybe it was partly related on the injury. Maybe not. But Jacob Eason's now transferring. But then they bring in this new guy, Fields, who's the number one quarterback in America at Georgia. Why not draft multiple quarterbacks like what the Redskins do did, but not go first and fourth round Why not go, for instance, uh, first round, top of the second round? Or even if you really are the Browns and you're like, man, we haven't had a success since Bernie Kosar, why not get two guys at one and four and let them compete and then take the best and the other guy you end up trading and get back a pretty high draft pick for him if he pans out? Or if the other guy doesn't pan out, well, at least you got two swings at it. Yeah, it's just too risky in the NFL. You got 53 guys, you know, as opposed to 85. And, you know, an amazing thing, and you're right. I mean, you look at what Georgia's doing right now. I mean, the big storyline for Alabama, who starts, you know, spring, spring camp today, is is it going to be Jalen Hurts, a guy that's 25-2 and two as a starting quarterback, or is it going to be Tua Tungvaloa, who we saw take over at halftime? I mean, at Clemson, Kelly Bryant was really good the final four games of last season, but Trevor Lawrence, a lot of people believe the incoming freshman will be the guy for Dabo Sweeney this year. So the rich get richer in college football. I think they can afford to roll the dice. But in the NFL, I mean, what we saw with Washington taking RG3 in the first round and then taking Kirk Cousins in the fourth round, that's unprecedented. They just won't roll the dice like that. So who do you think, by the way, you said Bama starts spring ball. Who's going to be the starting quarterback for Alabama next season if you were predicting? Uh, I'd be talking below. I mean, I think based on seniority, I think Jalen Hurts will get, you know, the he'll get all the reps with the ones at least to start. And we won't know anything until the Louisville-Alabama game to kick off the season next year. And I think ultimately your starter will be Tungvaloa. I think he's a more talented guy. Good stuff as always, Lance Taylor, at the Lance Taylor. Go follow him on Twitter. Let me bring in Eddie Garcia, find out what's shaking the world of sports. 
All right, Clay, well, in the NBA, the Cleveland Cavaliers announced that head coach Tyron Lue is going to be away from the team indefinitely due to health reasons. He's reportedly dealing with chest pains and loss of sleep without... Tyron Lue on the bench. Cavaliers go out and beat the Bucs 124-117. LeBron James had a triple-double, 40 points, 12 rebounds, 11 assists. And Kevin Love returned after missing six weeks with a broken hand. He had 18 points in 25 minutes. Spurs over the Warriors 89-75. San Antonio's won four in a row. They've gone from out of the playoffs to the fifth seed in the West. Golden State did not have stars. Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, or Klay Thompson due to injury. And the Heat beat the Nuggets 149-141 in double overtime. Denver's now two games back in Minnesota for the final playoff spot. In the West, baseball news, L.A. Dodgers all-star third baseman Justin Turner suffered a fractured wrist when he was hit by a pitch Monday night in a spring training game. He's expected to miss several weeks. The support is brought to you by True Car. Online car shopping can be confusing, but not anymore with True Price from True Car. Now you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car, so visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. And Clay, a couple of college basketball notes. Rhode Island's Danny Hurley reportedly going to be the next head coach at UConn. And Memphis reportedly going to introduce former Tigers and NBA star Penny Hardaway as their new head coach later today. We'll talk about that Penny Hardaway story next here on OutKick. Live from the Geico OutKick studios where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. And we've all got a lot going on in our lives, but GoToMeeting is the online meeting platform trusted by 99% of all Fortune 500 companies that's making it simple for you and your employees to meet with ease to learn how your company can make the switch today. Visit GoToMeeting.com as well. You think a train will stop if it sees your car on the tracks? You're right, it will. About a mile after it hits you, stop. Trains can't. We're mentioning that uh, Penny Hardaway story. Obviously, a lot of you remember uh, Anthony uh, Penny Hardaway, uh, former NBA star, grew up in the city of Memphis and uh, and played with Shaquille O'Neal once he got to the NBA, played basketball at Memphis, one of the homegrown stars of Memphis basketball. He's now, after two years, they're forcing Tubby Smith out. Lots of talent uh, on uh, in the area of Memphis. Uh, Penny Hardaway has been the Memphis East basketball coach. They just won, I believe, I'm correct in this, the state title at the highest classification for public schools in the state of Tennessee. And now he is taking over the uh, Memphis head coaching job. He's going to be introduced around noon Eastern today. So that is uh, that is a heck of a gamble by Memphis. Um, now we've seen guys come out of not sports jobs and take over and do pretty well, but there's not a huge track record of high school coaches coming in and being dominant at the next level. And I just find this to be an absolutely intriguing risk that the University of Memphis is taking here. Now, there are certainly guys who come out of the high school ranks and ended up pretty good. I think it's happened more frequently, frankly, in the world of college football. Um, Let let me kind of run through several names, but most of these guys have not come direct. I believe I'm correct that Frank Martin came out of Miami, uh, the current coach of South Carolina who took his team to the Final Four last year. He came out of uh, Miami high school area coaching and went to Kansas State when he had, uh, oh, who was the big name, the Michael, uh, who was the big guy, that that, the six-foot-eleven player that that they got out of, um, out at Kansas State, that Michael Bishop, I believe it was. 
I believe it was Michael Beasley. Yeah, Michael Bishop was the quarterback for the Kansas State. Beasley was the basketball player that I think I'm correct in. Frank Martin basically arrived at the same time as him, and he ended up getting that job at K-State. Now he's at South Carolina. There are several guys who have been pretty successful that had long, successful high school football coaching careers and then ended up in the college football head coaching ranks fairly quickly. Art Bryles obviously ended badly, but he came out of being a dominant high school football coach in Texas, was a running backs coach at Houston for a few years, then took over as head coach there. Gus Malzahn got brought in as the offensive coordinator for uh, Arkansas for Hugh Freeze when he was bringing the Springdale crew uh, to uh, to Arkansas. And then we had uh, Hugh Freeze, certainly, who came out of the Memphis area as well, high school football. and But those guys all had little breaks where they didn't immediately become a head coach. What is interesting uh, in the world of athletics right now, one of the only guys I can find who's gone straight from high school to college, and by the way, it's possible that I'm missing some of these guys, um, but Tony Sanchez, I just came back from Las Vegas Tony Sanchez went from Bishop Gorman at UNLV. He won six straight titles there, went 85-5, and and he has now been the head coach of UNLV for three straight years, and they've gotten one game better in each of those three years. They went from 3-9 and to 4-8 and to 5-7 and in his three years. We'll see what happens with him in year four. But there aren't very many of those guys uh, that have made this move. So I'm curious whether or not we believe this will be a risky move or a brilliant move. The expectation seems to be that after three straight state titles at a school in Memphis, that Penny Hardaway is going to be able to bring in all the best recruits. Do we buy into this move by Memphis? They've been trying to find a guy to replace John Calipari ever since John Calipari left. Passner was just okay. Tubby Smith, obviously not a great fit. Is Penny Hardaway the answer? We'll talk about it next on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote as well. If you think a train will stop if it sees your car on the tracks, you're right. It will. About a mile after it hits you, stop. Trains can't. This Penny Hardaway story, and we're going to talk with Bruce Pearl in next segment, Auburn's men's basketball coach, and I will ask him about that. Penny Hardaway, obviously legendary uh, NBA player, uh, former University of Memphis star, has been coaching in the Memphis high school ranks for three straight years. He has won a state title at a school called Memphis East there in the city of Memphis. He is set to be introduced today as the next head basketball coach at Memphis. He is bumping out Tubby Smith, who was there for two years and basically was uh, run out in favor of Penny Hardaway. And there are not that many examples, in a modern era certainly, of a guy going straight from success in high school to coaching at a college level and certainly not at an NFL or uh, NBA level. Now, there are guys like Steve Kerr who have gone from broadcasting to being head coaches. You've got guys like John Lynch, uh, frankly, who have gone from being uh, game uh, commentators to taking over as GM. So it occasionally happens 
with guys who had been connected to teams over the years in the pro sports arena. And uh, but it doesn't happen that often in college. I think, it, and a lot of, to- of of what's going on in college is, frankly, there's a lot of things involved other than coaching. Whereas I think, frankly, you can say in the pros, these guys are professionals. We can show up if you're pretty good at the X's and O's side of things, like Steve Kerr can be. You don't really have to manage the personal lives of your players as much, whereas you do in college. And the only guy I can think of, you guys can tell me if I'm missing somebody who has taken over a prominent program. And I understand UNLV football is not the top of the line, top 25 program caliber. But this is basically what happened in Las Vegas. They took Tony Sanchez, who was at Bishop Gorman, which is a very famous football school in Las Vegas. He had gone 85-5 and and won six straight championships. And they brought him direct to UNLV and gave him the reins to the program. And he has gone three and nine, four and eight, five and seven. And that's effectively what they're doing in Memphis with Penny Hardaway. Uh, and I'm going to ask Bruce Pearl about this, but I want to bring in the crew because I do think this is an interesting test case. And again, there are lots of guys that have ended up head football coaches coming from high school football who haven't necessarily been assistant coaches for that long and I just ran through a bunch Art Bryles, Gus Malzahn, Hugh Freeze uh, all of those guys kind of came out of high school football and ended up being head coaches fairly soon once they left high school football but the number of guys that have gone direct is minuscule. Jason Martin I put you to work trying to find a, a roster and you found Notre Dame obviously years ago made this decision how did that work out? Uh, not particularly well. Jerry Faust was 18-year head coach at Moeller High in Cincinnati. Which is a legendary. Yes, Yeah, it is. legendary Cincinnati high school with always really successful athletic programs. So he was there for 18 years? Yeah, 63 and 80 record, or sorry, 63 to 1980. He was 174-14-2, had seven undefeated seasons, four national titles, that's hypothetical obviously, and five Ohio State championships. So he goes to Notre Dame directly. 30-26-1 at Notre Dame in kind of a short tenure there, resigns in 1985, becomes the head coach at Akron where he was 45-53-3. and so not it, particularly it stunning. It did not translate the level of dominance. And by the way, can you imagine the way this would be received today if Notre Dame went and hired a high school football coach as the new head coach? I, I don't remember this because this was before my time as a sports fan, but I can only imagine the reaction that would happen if a program like Notre Dame went straight to a high school to hire a, uh, a guy as their next head coach. Not to say it might not work, just that it's a big swing. What about anybody else? I mean, again, Tony Sanchez at uh, UNLV for football. There isn't that long of a roster of, t- of schools that have even been willing to attempt this. No, not at all. As a matter of fact, I'm looking at a USA Today article from 2017, and it says UNLV coach Tony Sanchez is that rare football coach to make the leap to becoming a head coach in college straight from being a high school coach. There are new rules within the NCAA where if you've been really close to a recruit for two years 
before you know you're bringing him on you can't actually be associated with it that's a new ncaa deal that started a couple of years ago it actually affected auburn they were going to bring in somebody to be a defensive analyst that was a high school coach but because they were recruiting a kid that was on his team they were not allowed to hire him for that job so that's made it even more complicated for this kind of thing to even happen isn't there a loophole, though, that if it's a parent, you can hire them? Because I think that's what Conzo Martin did with the Porter kids. I think that they hired Porter Sr. as an assistant on that Missouri staff in order to ensure that they got Michael Porter Jr. and uh, and the other one. Just, just as kind of an, a loophole that allows you to exploit. I think you can hire somebody's dad, maybe their uncle, somebody who's on the uh, who's connected to the family, I believe you can do that. Might not be able to do the the, the high school coach. That's an interesting uh, that's an interesting rule that I didn't know actually existed. So for Penny Hardaway, this what do we think about this? I mean, this is a pretty big swing, and it's being uh, you know attempted by Memphis. And Penny Hardaway is a huge name. Everybody out there listening to this show right now remembers watching Penny Hardaway either at Memphis or with the Magic once he uh, once he went pro. Um, he obviously has had a lot of success in high school basketball. He has got a ton of talent that looks up to him as probably the most successful guy to come out of the Memphis area, which produces a ton of college basketball uh, talent every single year. Probably the most successful guy in the last quarter century, and, and there's probably somebody that I'm missing now not thinking about it, but I think Penny Hardaway would be the most successful Memphis area high school basketball mm-hmm. player in the last 25 years. I don't think that's a, an exaggeration. There's obviously been a lot of great high school basketball talent, but I don't think anybody's been better than than Penny Hardaway. And so that he's got an entire generation of kids that looked up to him. And then for those kids that are coming up now that maybe don't remember Penny Hardaway's career, well, now he's won three straight state championships and he kind of personifies everything about what could happen successfully at Memphis. Now, there are certainly guys like uh, Patrick Ewing has been fairly mediocre at Georgetown, I would say. Is that is that a fair approximation of his tenure at Georgetown so far? Chris Mullen has been fairly mediocre at St. John's. So there have been other places that have gone and hired one of their former star athletes to be the coach at the college basketball level. And by and large, those at least so far have not really panned out, right? I don't know what Patrick Ewing's overall coaching record is at Georgetown, but it ain't that great. And I know that Chris Mullen took over, obviously, a messy situation at St. John's, but he hasn't exactly brought them back to Lou Carnesecca-level glory. So that's a little bit of something that would give me pause as well. But if you think Penny Hardaway can go in and get all these great basketball players that come from Memphis – that would be good enough to have Memphis consistently into the tournament. I don't think that coaching, I mean, I could be wrong on this, but I don't think that coaching basketball, there's going to be anything that Penny Hardaway hasn't seen before, right? I mean, the guy played basketball his entire life. He played it at a high level in the NBA. I don't think that there's anything that he's going to suddenly confront in college basketball where he's like, oh my God, I'm not familiar with how to break down this this offensive set or how to teach uh, how to teach my guys how to how to run the right you know offensive sets and everything else. I don't see it as being so insanely complicated. Um, and again, I, I've said this before. I just don't think basketball is that complicated. If you or I sit in a basketball huddle right now for the NCAA tournament, and I'll ask Bruce Pearl about this, but if we sit in a huddle 
Like, you and I can understand what a coach is asking us to do and execute it. Now, maybe not very well, but the terminology that they will use in that huddle, if you've ever played basketball or if you're like me and you've ever helped coach like six- and seven-year-old basketball, the terminology for basketball is not that overwhelming, and you only have five moving parts on the court, so there's not that many people to control. Whereas, if you or I were suddenly like on the sideline of a football game, and I've been there a lot, and you put on a headset, and you try and figure out what's being said, it's like somebody speaking a different language. So I don't think the leap is as substantial from high school basketball to uh, to college basketball as it would be, certainly for what UNLV did, jumping a guy from high school football to college football. But this still seems like a big swing and a big big risk. Do you guys think it will pan out? Jason Martin, good move or bad move to go with Penny Hardaway? I think it's worth the risk because it's all about recruiting. Tubby Smith could not bring in even the local talent in Memphis, of which there is a lot. Penny Hardaway is one of the most beloved sports figures in the history of that city. I would say he is definitely the 25-year the argument you made. He's definitely the answer there. Elliot Perry from the 80s is probably the only other guy that I would even think about when I think about Memphis guys that grew up there and actually played there and were stars and ended up being lottery picks in the NBA. But even the kids and most of the kids that he would be obviously bringing in now didn't get to see much of his career or have had to watch it all in – you know, on NBA TV and flashbacks and things like that. But he was amazing. He was amazing in college. He was fantastic in the NBA, plagued by injuries, super smart guy. But this is all about being able to bring in the best talent again to Memphis, which Tubby Smith could not do. People were seeing his offense as archaic, and they just didn't want – they weren't sending their kids to play there. Now, so Tubby what Smith is the said, risk? You're not winning anything. Tubby Smith said that Penny Hardaway was sabotaging his recruiting efforts in Memphis, which is part of the backstory of what exactly was going on here, that Penny Hardaway potentially was angling for this job for a while and was telling some of these players that he had relationships with, you don't want to go to Memphis, you don't want to play for Tubby Smith. Guys out in L.A., when you hear this story, what's your reaction? It's a little messy – uh, I can understand what Memphis is doing. They they wanted some pizzazz back. They're getting it right now because you and others nationally are talking about the program. I, I guess the thing I'm wondering, because you know you guys are right, it's all it all comes down to recruiting. Uh, is it not a conflict of interest for him to uh, get the two coveted recruits that played for him at Memphis East High signed? I was reading here that Chandler Larson and James Wiseman are two. Yeah, Wiseman's huge. Yeah, Wiseman ranked number might, might, one overall. Yeah, they're talking about Kentucky for him, but yes, he he obviously has a major so, tie with Penny Hardaway. Right. So, what do the NCAA rules say about that? I don't. Even yeah, begin. I'm not sure exactly. Like, there's what a is, bunch of articles about it that I haven't been able to truncate yet about that particular issue. I think that there's no doubt that if Memphis is hiring him, they're expecting that those players are going to be able to enroll. So, if there was some kind of issue with that. I don't think they would be hiring him. By the way, Patrick Ewing, 15-15. and 15, uh, Chris Mullen at, at Georgetown. Uh, Chris Mullen, 38-60 and 60 so far at St. John's. Uh, we'll ask Bruce Pearl about this. He's recruited Memphis a ton. I'm sure he knows Penny Hardaway. Uh, what does he think about the decision? And we'll also ask him, has he even looked at the film from Clemson? When you get blown out in the NCAA tournament and your season ends, do you ever look at the film? We'll also ask him, how does he see the Sweet 16 breaking out with the remaining teams? All that and more. Bruce Pearl next. Outkate the coverage. I'm Clay Travis. This is Fox Sports Radio. 
Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car. Visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Join now by Auburn men's basketball coach Bruce Pearl. And uh, you won a game, and then you lost a game in the NCAA tournament, Coach. And I'm curious, do you even look at the tape from Clemson, or do you just burn it and get ready for next season? Well, Clay, I appreciate you saying that we won a game and lost a game because we won a game and got destroyed in another game. <laughs> uh, and it was his historic blowout. Um, I watched it, um, and, and I could tell you there have been times that there have been games like that when the season was over, in victory and in defeat when I didn't watch the last game. Um, but I needed to watch it because I needed to find out if what I thought I saw the first time actually did, took place. And then how do I help learn from it both myself and then my players moving forward? Because that is a, something that everybody is going to remember. But, but give Clemson credit because they played great and, and, and we, were, we were really uh, we were way off our game. So what happens? Uh, you win the first game, and then uh, you advance, and you're playing against Clemson. At what point as a coach do you think, boy, we just don't have it? When you look back, is there something that you saw coming into this game, or were you as surprised as a lot of other people at the way that the result of the game happened? Clay, when, when Anthony McLemore went down at South Carolina in mid-February, that was the moment I realized that we were in trouble. Um, we lost... Five out of our last eight games, we were we were three and five without him. Um, we were already down to nine guys. My front line was six three, started six three and six seven, and I brought a six eight freshman off the bench who was a forward, and he had to play part time center. I, 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 at that point, I realized I, I just don't know uh, how much more I can expect from these guys, and yet we were still able to beat. Uh, down the stretch, we were able to beat um, uh, Florida, excuse me, uh, Alabama. We were able to beat South Carolina. We were able to win a, a, an NCAA tournament game. And and so uh, that, that, I think that was at what point. Now, did, did I ever tell the players? No. Did I ever show the players? No. We kept on trying to figure out game plans and ways that we could win, but I knew it was going to be really challenged. When you look at the Sweet 16 now, how much of the NCAA tournament games will you watch the rest of the way? Will you kick back on Thursday, uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday and watch a lot of these games? I bet you'll be at the Final Four, but how much attention will you play from here on out? I'll watch the SEC teams because I want to see how they do, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer you up a theory. Um, and I don't know historically whether this, whether this, um, uh, this there's any consistency to here. The, the regular season champions go through a, a kind of a grind that is unlike any of you, you, Clay, you, you follow Tennessee basketball closely. You follow everybody closely, but you follow Tennessee basketball. The grind that they had through the SEC season, the way they got ready to play every single night, almost every single night, that was not the most talented team in the SEC. Texas A&M, Kentucky, Alabama, there were other teams, you know, Kentucky and Texas A&M, are still alive. Those are the most talented teams. Duke is still alive. Duke didn't win the ACC. Virginia did. But Duke didn't get ready to play every single night like Virginia did. Arizona, the grind of the back 12, they were champions. I mean, Kansas, I think, is the only 
regular season champion of a Power Five conference that's still alive. And so what happens is when when you let's just say some of these more talented teams felt like you know we didn't achieve everything we wanted, we didn't achieve our goals of winning the conference championship or winning the conference tournament championship. Let's see if we can make a run. And they're hungry, and they're talented, and that cream rises to the top. And I think that's what's happened this year in the NCAA tournament. It's an interesting theory because you're right. I don't know what the toughest loss of your career you would say was, but when you see something like happen to Virginia, UMBC beats them by 20, 16 seed beats a one, Tony Bennett has to answer questions after the game. Are you more as a coach thinking, God, I feel great for that 16 seed? Because I know you've coached at a school like Wisconsin, Milwaukee, mm-hmm. and been the, the, the small school guy. Or are you more also now being at a bigger school, are you more thinking like Tony Bennett, man, I feel so bad for him to have had the season that he and his kids had and then have it end the way it did. As a coach, how do you respond to a game like that? Yeah, well, that, I'll, I'll answer the how do you respond because, Clay, I'm not sure I could say, well, I was happier for you, MBC, than I was sad for Virginia. I, I was happy for UMBC. It was their one shining moment shows to go what one and done is all about in one game anything can happen we'll say what's well, never happened before yes but it can happen and um you know when you when you have a team that, that, that plays four guards and spreads the floor you have a, you have a team virginia that lost one of their key players um when you play virginia basketball in the 50s and 60s the math says you got a better chance to get upset than a team that plays in the 80s or, 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 or so on and so forth because they're going to be so solid. And so I, I just I think it adds to the intrigue of the tournament when when you look at how some of these brackets are. It just doesn't make any sense. I I, I personally think that makes for a better tournament because because it is uh, it is so unpredictable. It is March Madness. I asked you what the toughest loss. Is it the, the game in the Elite Eight against Michigan State uh, at Tennessee, or in your coaching career, is there one that when you lay down in bed sometimes at night, uh, I know fans do this, they think back on games. Do you think back on any one or two particular games that you're like, boy, I wish I could change Like in, in your head? Is, does that happen for you? Yeah, yeah absolutely, and I, I think it's an easy answer. Any games where a championship was lost, um, Michigan State, one one uh, one moment from a Final Four. Uh, Scotty Hobson is at the foul line in, in in St. Louis, and I believe the score is tied. Um, we had we had the ball with a possession. He got a good look. He got fouled. Um, he makes the first one to either tie it or put us up one. I don't even remember. Yeah, but I do know he couldn't he couldn't seal the deal. I had both my bigs on the free throw line in an offensive free throw set uh, situation with a great free throw shooter like Scotty and seven seconds left to go. I should not have had my bigs on the line. I shouldn't have had Wayne Chisholm and Brian Williams on the free throw line. Should have had them back defensively. Maybe a guard up to stop the ball, but not a big. And instead, Scotty misses an odd free throw. It bounces way off to the side. And both Brian and Wayne go for the ball. Had a chance to get that rebound. But now we are completely out of position in transition, and they go down score four on three, and get to the foul line, make two free throws to win the game, and 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 so yes, absolutely relive that moment because it was an opportunity 
to take Tennessee to a Final Four in Indianapolis to play Butler in the first round. And it was in Indianapolis, city of Indianapolis, where Peyton Manning was the quarterback still. Could you imagine how cool that it would have been for Tennessee basketball? I'd had Peyton on my bench dressed <laughs> up as a Colt. <laughs> We're talking to Bruce Pearl. When did you recognize? I love that, that you go back in and diagnose the decisions that you made. How soon after the game did you recognize, I shouldn't have had those two big men there to try and rebound. I should have had him back to protect the rim. Immediately. Imme- oh, yeah, immediately, immediately. And then there's one other. Um, I lost at the buzzer in a regular season conference championship to Butler uh, in Hinkle Fieldhouse. And, um, and it was the, it was the, it was um, – uh, it was uh, that, and when I lost the national championship game uh, to University of California, Riverside, in 1994. Um, the, the emotions in the locker room after those games, uh, the incredible, um, you know, the, the number of guys that just wept um, because either the season was over in 94 when we didn't win the national championship or um, and, and when we lost the regular season conference championship to Butler, you know, we'd worked so hard and we had the game, we had the game won. Um and and so you do you think back of the things that you could do, but but more than anything, you realize how much those kids cared, because you saw their emotion, and you saw young men crying, and you saw, you know, young men actually prayer praying or in conversation and communication with God, thanking Him for the blessing of even having a chance to win a championship. It just makes doing what we do so special. We're talking to Auburn men's basketball coach Bruce Pearl. You mentioned earlier that you're going to watch the SEC teams, Texas A&M and Kentucky, uh, in their Sweet 16 games. Uh, very talented teams. But in a larger context this year, I think for many people out there, was the return of SEC basketball. The league went 6-2 and two in opening round games, put eight teams into the bracket in general, was one of the top conferences in college basketball during the regular season. What changed to make SEC basketball back this good again? Well, I think Mike Slive started it, um, and um, Greg Sankey is now finishing it. Um, the, the commitment is by hiring Dan Leibowitz to, to run our basketball operation, uh, to bring in as good a supervisor official, um, Mark Whitehead, who is a Final Four caliber official, to bring him in, uh, to, to, to hire Mike Trangisi, uh, former of the Big East, to, to be involved as an advisor, uh, they invested in the conference and they told their, 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 their universities, look, you got all this SEC TV money. Go out and, and invest in a, in a coach. Go out and invest in your facilities. Invest in marketing so we can start building our fan bases. And basically, I think they shamed the AD saying, look, we're good in everything. We play for championships in anything. And the only, pers- only schools at the time that were any good were, were, was Kentucky and Billy Donovan, Florida, with any consistency. We had, our, we had a run at Tennessee. You know, Vanderbilt had, had their – everybody had their moments. But, but the league itself wasn't as consistent. And right now, Clay, I'm just telling you, I don't know, you know, I don't know um, uh, uh, who the worst program in our league is. That used to be easy. It used to be Auburn, or it was South Carolina, and then it was then Frank Martin got there, or it was – I don't know um, – it's not anymore, and, and, and the league's going to be better next year. How about that? Yeah, it is exciting to think about how good it could be next year. Um, as part of that, uh, you, we were just talking about this in the in this segment before you came on. 
Penny Hardaway, talking about trying to get better, is now going to be introduced today as the next Memphis basketball coach. You coached in Tennessee. I know you're familiar with Memphis area basketball talent. I'm sure you've continued to pay attention and monitor that city at Auburn and recruit it as well. What do you think the challenges would be? You talked about your path in terms of how you ended up before you got to be a head coach at Auburn and how much there is to learn and how you can learn from every game. What do you think about that decision for Penny Hardaway to get that job, and what kind of leap is that to go from coaching high school to coaching at the University of Memphis? Well, let me say, if if there's a place where that could work, it would be Memphis, Tennessee. It's a unique place. Now, I don't know if Memphis you know, still has the depth and breadth of the talent that it had 10, 15, 20 years ago. I do know that, that, that um, Penny has been able to assemble a great team by virtue of, you know, just even some recruiting and getting kids from come to Memphis from different places that played with his AAU club to, to play for him in high school. Um, but he was able to assemble that talent there. And if he's able to keep those kids at home, He's going to be successful at Memphis. Um, he's, he's a smart guy. He was an accomplished player. He was, he was a successful AU coach. I watched, his, I watched his teams play. I thought they played hard. I, I thought they were well coached. Um, I think he'll hopefully make some smart decisions when he builds a staff around him. And I think being an NBA player, he also watched head coaches um, use, use the quality of their staff. So, you know, while I hate to see a guy like Tubby Smith, who is, was at the end of his career anyways, get put into a really difficult position with, with a hire, you know, to think that, that, that Tubby um, was going to be able to take Memphis to where Memphis wanted to go um, at the very end of his career. Memphis' expectations are expectations like Louisville. Um, they, 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 they believe that their basketball program should be in the Final Four with Elite Eight or, or, or where Cal had them. Um, this is an outside-the-box hire, but I actually think it has a chance to work. We're talking to Auburn men's basketball coach Bruce Pearl. When you look at the Sweet 16 now, who should be the favorites? Is it Duke? Is it Nova? Do you like the bracket that Kentucky's got? Who would you pick to be holding the championship trophy at the end of the year right now? All three of those things. Um, Villanova's got a huge advantage right now um, moving forward. Um, the, the way they dominated Kentucky, excuse me, Alabama made a statement to me because Alabama's so talented. They're one of the most talented teams in the country, and they, ma- and they manhandled them. Um, showed me that they, they could play with that kind of athleticism and size. Um, Duke is, is, is obviously uh, the way they're playing their zone. They got more NBA talent than anybody. Um, I think that um, uh, Kentucky's got a got a a confident team right now, a talented team, and an easy bracket. And then Texas A and M. I'm just telling you, don't if those kids play hard, and 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 the point guard they got right now, Stoke is playing. He's on. He is he is an impossible cover. Uh, incredible size. Billy Kennedy is an outstanding coach. And again, there's a team that just was capable of putting it together late. The talent was always there. They just had suspensions and some discipline and some issues. And they, they, I mean, they hung in there, and they're excited. And Texas A&M is extremely dangerous in this tournament. 
We're talking to Auburn men's basketball coach Bruce Pearl. His team, Auburn, wins the first round of the NCAA tournament, loses second round, SEC co-champions, uh, hell of a season for Auburn. I don't know if you saw this, and it's, it's a strange thing uh, now that everybody has social media accounts, but former Auburn men's basketball coach Tony Barbie, a guy that I think you've been pretty welcoming for, uh, tweeted out an emoticon. I don't even know if you know if you use emoticons in your regular speech or not. It was kind of like a laughing face during yeah. the Auburn game. You guys were losing. He didn't make any comments, but a lot of people took that as a shot at you and the result of that game. Have you heard anything from him? Do you know anything about that? Uh, did anybody tell you about it prior to me? Yeah, I, I heard about it. First of all, it, you know, when it comes to Twitter, you, you know, you, you don't know who's you know, who's either pushing the buttons or sometimes look at these false accounts. Um, if it's true, it's very disappointing. But listen, I am so proud, Clay. I am so proud that Auburn men's basketball won the SEC regular championship and was the one seed in the tournament with the group that we had. Um, we had, we had, we had talented players and those kids made sacrifices and they got right and they got right. And at the end of the day, they were champions. Um, hey, I'm smiling too. I'm laughing too. I'm laughing. I'm LMAO, baby. <laughs> I am. And it's great. And so that stuff, listen, it, it, you know, whatever. <laughs> when, now that the season's over, what happens next for you and Auburn men's basketball uh, in this offseason? I know you've told me before you expect to be back as head coach next year. What is the next page that you turn now that it's the offseason is here? Well, I, you know, I do. I expect to be back based on everything that I know um, about everything that I know. And, of course, we've been involved in an internal investigation with the, with the cooperation of the NCAA, and I have a lot of information uh, based on the things that I know. If there's nothing else out there that I don't know, I think I'm going to be fine, as will the rest of my staff that got through the season. Look, the guys that were left, the players that were left, the coaches that were left were in good standing. If we weren't in good standing, Clay, the president would have removed us from our positions. And so I just feel confident that we're going to be able to, you know, so again, survive this. What I'm going to do is I'm going to be, you know, visit, I visited with my team when we got back yesterday. I have several players that should put their name in for evaluation and see if they can get drafted. Uh, Cause that's one of their goals for sure. Um, the recruiting process um, we had laid a very strong foundation as far as our recruiting is concerned. We get some great young players that are waiting to see what's going to happen with our roster. I have no seniors. And this is a chance that I, uh, I'm going to have a great team coming back. Um, but I, you know, I'm ready to get back to work. I'm getting back to work so that you know next year we can we can be you know competitive again, and uh, and 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 we can get back to the NCAA tournament and and go farther next year than we did this year. Auburn men's basketball coach Bruce Pearl, will there be any kind of formal statement or announcement? Like, how, how does this thing get resolved? I mean, it's not just your program, by the way. There are lots of programs with all sorts of issues that are going on right now. Do you anticipate a statement or release or anything saying that this guy's good to go? Or uh, for people out there kind of waiting to see what's going to yeah. happen, will there be anything yeah. official in your mind? Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know whether there will be. I think, I think in many ways, again, the strongest statement is I'm still coaching. Yeah. I mean, that's the strongest statement. So, and then the other thing too is it's, 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 I don't believe, I don't believe, look, while we're going through the process and we've gone, we're way down the road 
uh, with our process. I don't know that it's completed yet in the sense that, so therefore, as we go through the process and complete the process, my job security um, will depend on how it concludes. And so, again, I, I don't know that today, tomorrow, next week, there's a strong statement. I think the statement is, as we sit right now, I'm in good standing. But I don't think you make the final call until until we're done completely and the NCAA's done completely with what they determine. Bruce Pearl, always enjoy it. Fun watching your team this year, my man. Congrats on the season, and uh, we'll talk to you again sometime soon, I'm sure. Well, well, I would say we need to talk one more time before the final four. Let's, Definitely. Let's, let's do that. We'll talk okay, to you next coach. week for sure. I appreciate Thanks it, my man. Time. That's Bruce Pearl. Auburn men's basketball coach, love the guy, always entertaining, can break down basketball like no other. Uh, let's go ahead and bring in my guy, Eddie Garcia, find out what's shaking the world of sports. Well, Clay, in the NBA, the Cleveland Cavaliers announced that head coach Tyron Lue is going to be away from his team indefinitely due to health concerns. He's reportedly been dealing with chest pains and loss of sleep. On the court without Ty Lue, the Cavaliers beat the Bucks 124-117. to LeBron James had a triple-double, 40 points, 12 rebounds, 11 assists, and Kevin Love in his return after missing six weeks with a broken hand at 18 points in 25 minutes. Spurs over the shorthanded Warriors, 89-75. San Antonio's won four in a row. They've gone from out of the playoffs to the fifth seed in the West. Golden State didn't have Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, or Clay Thompson due to injury. Double overtime for the Heat to beat the Nuggets, 149-141. Denver's now two games back in Minnesota for the final playoff spot in the West because of that loss. In baseball, L.A. Dodgers all-star third baseman Justin Turner suffered a fractured wrist when he was hit by a pitch Monday night in a spring training game. He's expected to miss several weeks. This report's brought to you by True Car. Online car shopping can be confusing, but not anymore with True Price True Car. Now you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car. So visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. And Clay, a couple signings in the NFL. The Redskins signed cornerback Orlando Skandrick, two years, $10 million. Chargers signed Mike Pouncey Center, two years, $15 million. And the Colts signed tight end Eric Ebron, two years, and $15 million. As always, let's hit some Animal Thunderdome up next on Outkick, the coverage. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to Geico.com 15 minutes ago as well. Listen up. You think a train will stop to seize your car on the tracks? You're right, it will. About a mile after it hits you, stop. Trains can't. Let's play the music, boys. It's Animal Thunderdome time. Ladies and gentlemen. I'm just glad I was there. Boys and girls. I thought he thought I was like this ginormous piece of chicken. Dying times here. I have a bullet from stricter stuck to my face. And you have a what? This is Animal Thunderdome. Justin Cooper stepping up saying his stories are the best. Does your story involve a cobra or a snake whisperer, Justin Cooper? No. All right, I'm going to start with this one then. All right. This is a headline. Famous, quote, snake whisperer dies after a fatal cobra bite. A famed snake whisperer in Malaysia has died after he was bitten by a cobra. Tough break there. Malaysia Today reports that Abu Zarin Hussein, a firefighter whose snake catching skills have gone viral, Received the fatal cobra bite three days ago, and he died early on Friday. Uh, Firefighters are often called to deal with cobras in Malaysia. By the way, don't sign me up for that job. This guy had been a famed snake handler and snake whisperer 
He was a 10-year firefighting veteran. He had showcased his snake handling skills on Asia's Got Talent last year. On social media, he was always active around snakes. And that all came to a close when he was bitten by a cobra and died. The snake whisperer, gone now forever. He also, by the way, previously had been bitten by a cobra and been in a coma for two days following a previous cobra bite. I believe that I would probably retire from snake whispering if I had ever been in a coma. This man did not. He is now dead. The Animal Thunderdome claims a victim. What you got for me, Justin Cooper? All right, Clay, I was actually sent a couple things from one of our loyal listeners. Shout out to Eli. Uh, now, the first one, it doesn't come with a story, but it's a, it's a pretty uh, concerning video. Now, uh, orcas, killer whales, they're, you know, they're pretty, pretty dangerous, fierce creatures, but it seems like they're getting a little bit smarter. This video that uh, this listener sent me, this killer whale is using bait to hunt birds. It takes its own food, and instead of eating it, it just leaves it on this ledge where there's a bunch of birds hanging around and just waits for one of them to be stupid enough to grab the, the little piece of fish, and then it snatches the bird out of midair and eats it. It's pretty, it's pretty intense and uh, a little bit, uh, little bit frightening. Next thing you know, they're going to be baiting us humans into the Setting tanks. Traps. Exactly. I'm telling you, they're getting smarter. Exactly. And then this other one, this one's a, this one's a little interesting. Now, I guess there's been some cases of, of people around the world, uh, I don't know, daring their friends to eat a slug or a snail. Well, you shouldn't do that because apparently there is a new parasite. It's a brain-infesting worm that is Ooh. found inside slugs. This 19-year-old, uh, a friend at a party, dared him to swallow a slug, and within days, the teen developed a rare form of meningitis and fell into a coma that lasted more than a year. Then, after A year? Yes. Then after waking up, he remains paralyzed from the neck down. The wow. Pa- the parasite is called a rat lungworm, and it burrows into the human brain. What's it called? A rat lungworm. That's the worst thing I've ever heard of. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, that's... Let's I, just I combine... Go. Two awful things and add the word lung to it. I don't. <laughs> so where did this kid live? Uh, this was uh, shocking. Australia. Uh, yep. Everybody in Australia. That's where the animals are the most violent against us. So the kid was in a one-year coma, and then he woke up after a year, and he can't move? Correct. Yes. And, All because and- he did a dare and ate a slug? Yep. And these rat lungworms can be found in many different species of slugs and snails. And now it, they're being found in different continents around the world. So it's not just Australia. It can be found in Africa, Australia, the Caribbean, and the southern United States. We got that here? Rat lungworm? Yep. Oh, man. This is awful. Whew. What a this devastating story. We're back. Final hour next. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. Did we finish Animal Thunderdome? Uh, Jason Martin, is there anything you need to hit here? I mean, there is the miniature Loch Ness Monster in South Georgia. That seems like kind of a big deal. Do we need to hit the music yeah. again for everybody who's. Uh, uh, we, we had to like uh, take a break. There we go. There we go. The sound, the new sounder there. A miniature Loch right. Ness monster sounds like kind of a big deal. Yeah, sounds like we might need to call Donald Henderson because, of course, he was kind of he talked dinosaur about the Loch Ness expert. monster. Yes, our dinosaur dinosaur expert from uh, the museum there in Alberta. Jeff Warren and his son confronted over the weekend boating around the Barrier Islands in Georgia. 
used his phone to get as close to the animal as possible. So there is a video of this. I'll tweet it out. But he had to keep his distance as a bird was pecking at this creature for food. Had two fins and small teeth. Looks a lot, almost identical to Scotland's Loch Ness Monster. Just a little bit smaller. And then this is what it says. Legend has it, it resides in the Altamaha River, which isn't too far away from Jeff and where he made his discovery. And the locals kind of know about it. That it's sort of like a smaller Loch Ness monster that they call Alti. If you search this urban legend, it virtually looks exactly like the Loch Ness Monster. And you can find photos of it and all these other kinds of things. They talked to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to see whether they had any idea what it could be. Director Dan Ash says some animals, when they die, decompose in a certain way that makes them look like something else. That would be a lot less cool that it, that it was not this miniature Loch Ness Monster. But the fact that this area has always believed that this creature exists and now something dies and washes up on the shore that looks exactly like a miniature Loch Ness Monster in South Georgia is kind of ridiculous. How small is the animal? Like, I don't see exactly a length, like, in the article, but looking at it, and this is dangerous because we know what happened with Danny G. Last time, we still haven't even given him an official punishment. Danny G reported that this spire was the size of a Labrador retriever, and it turns out it was actually half the size of a hand. Puppy. Yeah. Uh, So, so obviously, size judgments, uh, it can be confusing here, but are we talking, like, the so- like a minute like a Loch Ness monster is huge, right? It's a dinosaur. Yeah. So but- when you say miniature Loch Ness monster, do you mean like boat sized or do you mean like uh, like dog sized? Let me see it, Jason. I'm, no, okay. Well, yeah, careful. Yeah, let you see it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is my department. <laughs> yeah, I would suggest that it's kind of like an alligator, maybe a little bit longer than an alligator, somewhere okay. in the neighborhood. Just looking at this, eyeballing it. Now, this again is very amateur on my part. I would suggest somewhere around five, six feet long. All right, so if it's dead, can't they grab it and actually figure out what it is? One would think, and I assume that that's what they're eventually going to do, they have yet to identify it according to marine life experts. So they're still working on it. The problem was, I guess maybe before they got to it, this large heron bird and a couple of other birds were pecking at the carcass. So Warren, the guy who discovered it with his son, was able to get a picture and a video of it but after that point, they I don't know how much of the carcass was left by the time they got out there. All right, here's Maybe. the deal. I'm not I'm sure. Not, I'm not an expert in uh, animal discoveries. But if you think you found a miniature Loch Ness monster, maybe scare away the bird. I'm just going to toss <laughs> this out there. Just as an idea, maybe scare away the bird and find a way to preserve the dead body so that you can get credit for discovering a mini Loch Ness monster. Again... Not an expert on animal discovery, but if you think you have found something that has never been seen before in the history of the United States or the world, if a bird is pecking on it, maybe scare away the bird and find a way to get this carcass and get credit for discovering a brand new animal. All right, so I just tweeted it out from my account. I put that it's got a video there as well, Danny, so you can go look at it now. But if you just actually bring up that t- that tweet, you'll see a photo from the still shot of the video, and that gives you some idea of how long this thing is. So you can check that. It's some, Like I said, it's around six or seven feet, but I agree with you, Clay. If I see a miniature Loch Ness monster and I am aware it's dead, 
I first make a phone call, and then I get rid of this heron bird. Like, you can't let this discovery get eaten alive. Yeah, I mean, right you in be front dis- of you. wouldn't you be disappointed if this happened with, like, the actual Loch Ness Monster? We've been talking about the Loch Ness Monster for 100 years or whatever. Let's say this thing finally dies, and it, it comes up on the side of the, of the river there, Loch Ness, up in Scotland. And somebody happens to come up on it, and they're like, wow, there's the Loch Ness Monster. It's dead on the bank. Let me take a picture of it. Oh, but there's a few birds eating it, and uh, and then you just leave it. Like that seems like a bad decision making. By like on behalf of science, I think you're obligated if you see this thing. Where did it? Where was it? Where in in Georgia? Yeah. All right. So the guy is from Waycross, Georgia. He was out with his son near the Barrier Islands, going around Wolf Island. They thought it was a dead seal. They got a picture in a video and went to Skipper's Fish House, which is one of the local areas, and folks then told him, so I guess he's not from the area, folks told him, hey, there's a local legend named Alti, their own version of the Loch Ness Monster, that for decades people have said has been in the area, and now there's a carcass of what looks to be Alti on this shore here in this video. Yeah, I hope somebody has actually managed to go get the carcass and figure out exactly what's going on there, but I'm just saying in general, that if you see a never-to-forescovered animal and you take a picture of it and then you leave it to be eaten by random birds, seems like kind of a failure of science. Not an expert here. Anything else? Uh, there's another reason to stay out of Australia. You were talking about maybe taking a vacation over there. Well, we yeah, already I've been heard thinking that about it. Been going to story. Australia and New Zealand. I'd like to go to both, but I'm not sure if I want to put my kids on a 17-hour flight and take them all the way across the world, basically. Yeah, that's certainly a question. But back on March the 16th, an Australian snake catcher was called out to a home where a couple found a python in their carport that was as long as a sedan. A 16-foot python parked inside their carport. They had no idea. It was coiled up in an open space. Apparently, it was recovering from an injury. They called it a scrub python that may have been run over by a car. And then here's what the snake catcher said, and this is where you might want to be a little bit concerned about your vacation. Big snakes like these often span the whole width of the road and are susceptible to car strikes. Snakes often cross or warm themselves on roads at night can be hard to see, so be careful if you see a small stick or a large log on our roads at night, as it might be a python, unquote. I'm not worried about that if you're driving. I'm worried about that if you're just walking, which is obviously a big deal. Did you guys see this story? I saw this yesterday and I tweeted it out. There's a gorilla gorilla named yeah. Lewis. Yeah, this and he is walks, story. Yeah, he walks like a human. Yeah, uh, I noticed Jeff Schwartz also uh, tweeted this out yesterday. Yeah, the Philadelphia Zoo. I mean, this <laughs> this gorilla, I mean, the video of him walking is pretty unbelievable. But yeah, this did just you, goes did you with see, my theory. They say why he did it. He's at the Philly Zoo. And he's been seen a lot lately walking upright on two legs, just like a human being. Most gorillas, of course, walk by using their knuckles. The Philadelphia Zoo posted on their Facebook page the other day that Lewis has been walking like a human when his hands are full of snacks or when the ground is muddy so that he doesn't get his hands dirty. Fastidious. So it's just the beginning of of Planet of the Gorillas. (laughs) Yeah, we're, oh, we're all we're all done for. I don't think there's any doubt at all. By the way, he yeah. is he is the size of a medium Bigfoot. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Danny. Appreciate well, hopefully that. somebody find doesn't find the Bigfoot carcass and just be like, <laughs> "Oh, look, I'm gonna take a picture of it." Oh, but there's birds feeding on it. I'll just leave him here. So there's one other one, and this is this is just such an obvious thing because this we talked about this before on the show, and it happens seemingly all the time. Law enforcement. 
found an alligator in an Ohio home. Ohio? When they found it, yes, in an Ohio home, and they found it in an aquarium just chilling. They thought it was fish, and then they rolled up on it quickly and then found out it was like a a three-and-a-half-foot alligator. Here is is why why they found it. They were carrying out an arrest of a fugitive who was being uh, brought in for drug trafficking in Akron. I don't know how big your drug trafficking operation is in Akron, Ohio. But how often is it that we have like these situations where law enforcement come in and find alligators and tigers with the like dr- drug traffickers? Yeah, I don't know what it is about drug dealers and exotic animals, but maybe it's just that they've got so much cash they can't figure out what to do with it, or maybe they're trying to terrorize people by like, oh, I'll feed you to the alligator, I'll feed you to the tiger. Doesn't it seem like that so often these drug dealers are the ones who have the exotic animals? Yeah. I mean, right? Like, it it overlaps. It seems like there's a substantial overlap. If you have a tiger, you're more likely to be a drug dealer than not, or an alligator in a random Ohio, uh, Akron, Ohio home. Uh, This goes back to my point uh, before. Like, remember when we had the woman who had, like, all the snakes, the woman who got bit by the snake? Was it 11 snakes hot? I think yes. if you are buying drugs from a guy who has tigers or who has has alligators, you need to question sometimes your decision-making, right? If you, you ever been in a house and you walk in the house and you think, if something bad happened to me here, would I ever be able to explain why I was here? I think most people in their life have been in one of these places. If you walk into a drug dealer's house and he's got an alligator there, and maybe he's got a tiger there, maybe a sign that you shouldn't be hanging out there. I'm not an expert. I understand drugs are addictive. But maybe if you're walking into a house and the guy just keeps tigers or, 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 or crocodiles or alligators or anything else just for fun, maybe you need to question your life decisions. Just maybe. Again, not an expert, but that would be my suggestion. All right, up next... Petros Papadakis will dive into everything in the world of sports and beyond with him. He's on AM 570 Sports in LA. He joins us every single Tuesday in Hour 3. But first, I've got to tell you about ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Posting your position to job sites and waiting. Waiting for the right people to see it. ZipRecruiter knew there was a smarter way, so they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for, identifies people with the right experience, and invites them to apply to your job. These invitations have revolutionized how you can find your next hire. And in fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive so you never miss a great match. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter's how you find them. Businesses of all sizes trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Clay. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Clay. ZipRecruiter.com slash Clay. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car. Visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Join now by my guy Petros Papadakis at Petros and Money on Twitter, AM570 LA Sports. Petros, what do you think about this uh, this idea of Sue joining the Rams? The Rams seem like they're being really aggressive. If you put him next to Aaron Donald, 
as a football player. That seems like a really tough defensive line. Yeah. I mean, the guy's a great interior player, and those guys get paid a lot of money in the NFL. There's there's about three positions that really get paid in the league. Quarterback, left tackle, and if you can rush the passer on the interior or, or on the edge, uh, like a Reggie White uh, defensive end type with his hand in the ground. And those guys get paid. And I'll tell you what, Indomitian Sue isn't the player he was, and maybe he can be re-energized, and sometimes these guys get pretty tired uh, when they get a big contract, and, and who can blame them? They're really big guys that come off the ball uh, in a really aggressive way. And the one thing that always blew me away about good defensive linemen, and I played with the guy who was the number two pick in the draft. He, he passed away, sadly, in a car accident. But Daryl Russell, who played for the Raiders, I think he was a rookie of the year. Uh, if those guys get their hands on you, the play's over. You just you just don't break those tackles. Uh, they're that big and that impactful. And the one thing that really blows me away about players like Sue and Aaron Donald is that the gold standard when I was a, a young person was Warren Sapp. And we all know Warren Sapp's probably not that great of a human being, but damn, could he play. And the one thing that really used to blow me away is Ed Orgeron, who was our defensive line coach at USC, well, for three years when I was there and many years beyond that, uh, would preach something called credit card alignment, where you could only put a credit card between that D lineman and the, and the ball. Basically, he's that close to being lined up in the neutral zone and causing a penalty. And then just get off. They work on that. The moment that ball moves, the split second that the center moves the ball, and we used to watch Warren Sapp on tape, he was a foot ahead of the rest of the guys on the D-line consistently, like a cat, you know, on top of that offensive line before they could set up whatever protection or, or run play blocking they had. And those guys, there's only about four or five of them in the league every year or in a generation, and they're special. Now, you put them together, you know, it's not like Sue is at his peak when he was with the Lions. Now, you put Sue next to Donald when both those guys were two rolling balls of butcher knives, and that would be a lot of fun to watch. Are people getting excited about the moves the Rams have made, or is it still such a Laker-dominated and Dodger? I know we had Justin Turner with his injury, breaking Mm. his wrist. I'm getting told we cursed him because we put him on yesterday. And then it happened right after that? Right. If you ever put an athlete on and something bad happens to him the same day, you're getting the curse call. It happens to us all the time. Yeah, so what? in terms of the interest level, uh, the NFL offseason, I feel like in general, the NFL has been so smart, right? They do the combine in February, they do free agency in March, and they do uh, the draft in April, the end of April this month. And then, like, everybody kind of goes on vacation, May and June, let the NBA Finals kind of play out, everything else. And then, by the, way, by, the, by the way, by the end of July, you're back in training camp. The NFL almost has no offseason right now when it comes to stories. They're kind of colonizing once more a city like Los Angeles, which had been without the NFL for 20 years. Do you see an uptick in interest when you see stories like this, or is it still a substantial work in progress? I mean, we cover them, but... It doesn't feel like we got to do this. I mean, the, the Chargers signed uh, Ponce yesterday, the, the center. Yes. And that was a big deal for them. That's a big signing. That's a 
big-time offensive lineman. I mean, that's like signing Kevin Mawai or something to your team. And we talked about it, but we talk about it because we feel like we have to, not because, or at least I do. I talk about it because I feel like we have to talk about it, not because if we don't, people are going to say, why the hell didn't you mention this? <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, it still feels a little forced. Now, the Rams are, are doing great. You know, they've made all the right moves ever since their first year here, which was embarrassing. And the Chargers are, are, are a formidable team on the field, eh? with a good quarterback and a, and a lot of good players, obviously. So, I mean, it's it's something to talk about, but I don't really feel like it quakes people's innards. Do you know what I mean? Like the Dodgers <laughs> yes. and the Lakers and things. I don't think if we put a Charger player on and he got hurt, we'd get a hundred, you cursed that guy texts. Like I'm getting with Justin Turner, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, we're talking to Petros uh, Papadakis at Petros and Money AM 570 Sports in LA. The Pac-12 may have basically completed its worst season ever. Mm. One in eight in bowl games. Uh, you've got Arizona getting blown out by Buffalo. USC gets spurned at the altar, basically, by the selection committee. And they uh, got bounced you, last night by Western Kentucky. Okay, they got bounced even in the NIT. You had uh, UCLA lose to St. Bonaventure. And I think there was one other team, Arizona State, lost to somebody, too. I mean, there was Arizona no, State was out. Uh, as far as the West Coast goes, we had yes. Cal State Fullerton also lose. Yeah, and so, San Diego State. Is this the least interested that the West Coast of the country has ever been in the NCAA tournament? I know Nevada's still there, if that counts. Zaga. The Zags, all right, a little bit. And, and we have a we have the the event in LA. We have the Elite Eight right here. Yeah, but but in terms of teams that people have to root for, is we this got the worst? Yeah, we got nothing. And I think you can you can look at the coaching to a certain degree uh, for both USC and UCLA as to why they've both been disappointing. I mean, Steve Alford has a pretty good excuse. They lost three bodies, two big bodies that they really needed in China to start the season. And UCLA had a hard time recovering from that. And they melted down in the play-in. Uh, their, their best player, Aaron Holiday, absolutely melted down, down the stretch and, and tried to do everything himself. And it was, it was actually really hard to watch. But it's been a terrible year. And as far as the conference goes, Clay, I think it's really interesting because what does it really mean? They had a down year. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, the question, right? Is it an aberration or is this a structural issue that's going to manifest itself for several years now? Well, this time last year, we had Oregon in the Final Four. You know, and, and Oregon's not a basketball power. Now, they have their own plane, which goes a long way. They're the only uh, one of two Pac-12 men's basketball teams that travels private, and that's a big deal. Uh, Arizona would be the other one. UCLA doesn't. So why they're mentioned with Blue Bloods, I mean, they used to be, there's no doubt, they're one of the great programs in the history of the sport, but they shouldn't be mentioned with Kentucky and Duke and North Carolina unless they start traveling private, too. But anyway, uh, last year we had that, and we had the great story of Sam Darnold. I mean, I don't think it's on the field and on the court with those revenue sports, I, I, I don't think it's going to be a trend. Now, obviously, the East Coast doesn't respect the West in the same way, the West would like to be respected. You know that I was born and raised in the Pac-12. I, I love the Pac-12. But here's what disappointed me. You know, we put Larry Scott on, the commissioner of the Pac-12, 
right after the selections, and he wanted to talk about one and dones or something. And we asked him about the year and how disappointing it was. And it's not like he needed to answer for it or he, he's got to put on a uniform or anything. But it was just the bureaucratic talk that was kind of disappointing. You know, he talked about a task force and a 10,000-page report. I mean, he sounded like a member of the city council. And I don't think people want that. I think they want to say, yeah, this sucks. You know, I called Bob Bowlesby and said, you ever have a year like this? I mean, you know, come on, let's have a little, let's not treat it like we're, you know, signing NAFTA. But that's, that's kind of the vibe in the conference these days. And obviously their TV deal leaves something to be desired. Uh, they're not the only ones in town. But that's, that's, that's a problem. And they're not making as much money. They're making a lot of money, but they're not make, making as much money as the Big Ten, the SEC, the ACC. So the, the university presidents are going to look at their conference commissioner and said, you know, why aren't we making the same amount of money? And the, and the money discrepancy is with the network. Because the, the Fox deal and the ESPN deal and all that are great. Now, a lot of people don't like the scheduling. Right. So there's a lot of complaints about the conference. But as far as on the, the court and the field, Clay, I, I, I do think it was a bit of an aberration, you know, with all the bowl games and the way the basketball performed. But if it happens again next year, ask me again. We're talking to, I'm sure I will. We're talking to Petros Papadakis, AM570 Sports. He joins us every Tuesday in Hour 3. A couple of stories that I think are never going to end that I feel like I'm going to be asking you about till the end of time. Don't say the balls. No, I'm not, I, I don't know of anything that's happened. I have one question for you just real quick. Yes. And, and one, one thing to add and then a question. I do want to add the Pac-12 football does not look strong in 2018. USC is going to have a new quarterback. Chip Kelly is going to be able to surprise people. I know you like Sumlin. He just closed down practice. So there will be a mystery until camp in Arizona. And you have Chris Peterson, who's a good coach up north. But is there a national title contender? I don't think anybody in the country believes that right now on the West Coast. So we, we might have this conversation next year. The question I have is Dollywood. Yes. That's a real place, right? Oh, my, my kids and my wife were just there. I, I looked it up. It looks like a legitimate uh, theme park. Dolly, when I was a kid, for your history of Dollywood... It isn't so for people out there listening who have no clue, have never heard of this before. There is an area near the Great Smoky Mountains in uh, in Tennessee uh, called Pigeon Forge. Now Gatlinburg is the town that's literally like in literally in the Smoky Mountains. Okay, Gatlinburg is like the the town that's literally in the Smoky Mountains. How far but, is this from your house? Oh, uh, probably like a three hour drive. Oh my God, it's far. Uh, yeah, I mean Tennessee's a wide state, not a tall state. So uh, when you look at the uh, at the, when you look at the um, at the at the Dollywood area, when I was a kid, it was called Silver Dollar City, and it's like an amusement little amusement park. Dolly Parton made so much money that she bought her own amusement park and turned it into Dollywood. So literally, my kids all just uh, two of them anyway were up there for a uh, for an event with my wife and uh and they stayed and they stayed in Dollywood. I haven't been to Dollywood as an adult. Uh, oh. I've been to Silver Dollar City, which was the pre existing Dollywood. Do you know what it was called before Silver Dollar City? I don't think I don't think it existed. I think yeah, it, was, it did. It was called Rebel Ra- Railroad 
and you went on a railroad and you got attacked by Union soldiers and the Confederates <laughs> uh, chased them off. They reenacted what, that. That sounds ridiculous, but I know that they actually had that when it's I was true. a kid at um, at the uh, at uh, was Stone Mountain, which is outside of Atlanta. They would have you used to be able to ride a when I was a little kid, like I don't know, six or seven years old. You would ride a roller uh, a, uh, a train. And the train would get attacked. I think it was also Civil War related, but I'm well, not 100 Rebel certain. Railroad. Yeah, I'm telling you, there's more than might have been more than one of those. No, no, don't might have been me. I looked this up. No, you're talking about the one in in Tennessee. I'm uh, saying there might have been also one in Georgia where they did the same thing. They copied it. Yeah, they do the rebel yell, and all the Southern kids on the train are proud that they chase away the Union soldiers. Now, here's the deal, though. This is my bone to pick with Dolly Parton since you brought her up. There also is a, uh, remember like medieval times? Is there a medieval times in L.A. still? Is there a medieval times in L.A.? The medieval times is in All right. L.A. All right. So it's, right the, next, it's actually in Orange County right next to Disneyland. All right. So the southern equivalent of medieval times was, in, in again, in Pigeon Forge, which is this little town like in the foothills of the Smoky Mountains that you have to drive through to get to the Smoky Mountains. It's filled with all of, like, it's basically, um, if you've ever been to Niagara Falls, it's like Niagara Falls except in the Smoky Mountains. You know, they have all these, uh, when I was a kid, you'll love this. When I was, I don't think they let them do this anymore. When I was a kid, they used to have all these bear pits. And, like, they had all these like bears. Like Game of Thrones? Oh yeah, a little bit like Game of Thrones. They had all these pits of bears, and you could go buy. I can't. I don't think these still exist either. You could go buy like uh, like old fish and like some vegetables and stuff, and you could just throw the food into the bears to eat. It was amazing to do. Love I it. think that they had to shut all these places down, but they they had live bears everywhere. So you could go in. They were just like in these pits of concrete, and you just threw like fish at them, uh, and they would eat the fish and stuff. But uh, so that's Pigeon Forge. They have this thing called the Dixieland Stampede, which is basically medieval times, except it had like a Civil War theme-ish when I was a kid. Dolly Parton decided that the word Dixie was offensive now. Like Dixie, you know, like evidently is offensive. So they've changed the name to like the Dolly Jamboree now or something like this. They took away the word Dixie because it's offensive. Uh, well, no one's allowed to sing Dixie anymore, as you know. I, I, is that true? Like, I, I know that, like, well, there's Ole now... Miss? Come on, you're the one that wrote oh, the yeah, damn yeah. book. Yeah, yeah, but they're coming after. My first book was called Dixieland Delight. Which I is know! A, yeah, they're, now I people are, are, are... Yeah, I skimmed it. Now people are protesting Dixieland Delight, which is has absolutely nothing to do with the Civil War. By the way, you'll like this story. I'm glad, I'm glad you got me off topic here. The, have you heard about this... Holy Cross. You're familiar with Holy Cross, Oh, right? yeah. This does bug me. By the way, I just got like 20 texts saying medieval times is by Knott's Berry Farm. I hate all these L.A. people. <laughs> yeah, Knott's Berry Farm is next to Disneyland, you idiots, okay? It's like a seven-minute, 10-minute drive. God. So I the Dixie, Dixieland Stampede is what I used to go to when I was a kid, and we would go up to Gallenberg. So the Holy, Holy Cross, Cross is getting rid of the Knights. There's a... There's a there's a school down here in uh, Southern California, actually in Orange County, called uh, Valley Christian School, who just changed their name from the Crusaders because somehow the Crusades are offensive. This is now, this is what the, here's the story for people who don't know. Holy Cross dropped the knight mascot 
because of Christian violence in the Crusades. Mm. I don't know where all this ends, but come the F on. The idea that Holy Cross... By the way, they got to change their name because Holy Cross is definitely a Christian connection there. Uh, The idea that you would abandon the knight mascot, who is actually out there offended by the Holy Cross knight mascot? It is the dumbest thing I have ever heard. Now, I get it. If you read up on the Crusades, there was a lot of ugly stuff that happened 1,500 freaking years ago. (laughs) Yes. Uh, You know, we have the Torrance Tartars here in uh, town. Torrance High School in Los Angeles is where 90210, She's All That, Buffy the Vampire Slayer was all filmed. Yep. Uh, The Tartars were, uh, I think, Tamburlaine's army that tried to carry on the uh, Genghis Khan tradition of raping and pillaging throughout, uh, I guess, Mongolia, modern-day Mongolia. That's bad. Uh, Vikings did a lot of raping. And pillaging. We're going to have to change Minnesota Vikings' name. You went to the Trojans, USC. Troy did not exist uh, officially. Uh, I think it did. There was a city, maybe a city in Asia Minor that may have been Troy, but there is no living proof. Now, King Agamemnon and some of the characters from the uh, the Iliad are real. Yes, but 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 the Trojans aren't real. So don't you lump USC in with no, the I'm just saying, violence? I'm just saying. I think if we're worried about violence, well, the 49ers, Trojans. You don't think anybody ever got raped at a mining <laughs> camp? They're out. <laughs> the Trojans kidnapped. Helen of Troy. No, she left willingly with Paris because she wanted to have sex with him. Well, that's a good-looking guy. We did, but we don't know. She's the best-looking woman of all time, evidently. Mm. And your guys, the Trojans, they they kidnapped no, her. No, I'm a Greek. It was the Greeks no, who fought you, the Trojans. Yeah, but you're you're on both sides, I guess. Ironically enough, but I'm saying your guys, meaning that you went to USC as a Trojan. Mm-hmm. So where does this all end? I don't know. I think it's the dumbest thing in the history of the world. Now, I'm no huge supporter of the Crusades, although I would prefer Istanbul to be named for Constantinople since it is the center of the Greek Orthodox Church, and I'm Greek Orthodox. It's our Vatican. Yes. And I guess that was pretty much the aim of the Crusades, was to take back Istanbul. But there's a lot of names about a lot of things that are weird from our past, or interesting, or about history. And I don't think we can judge history through the prism of today. It just doesn't seem fair or right or at all logical. And I don't know why we can't have, look, there's a lot of bad cowboys out there. Somebody better call Dallas. And, you know, Texas has some pretty shady history. The Houston Texans are going to have to change their name. I mean, it doesn't end. That's the problem. It really doesn't. And you're fun- it's funny you mentioned the Vikings because I can definitely see somebody being like, wow, the Vikings were pretty violent. And it's like, okay. Like, hey, I that don't- bear raped uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in That's the Renovant or whatever. Gotta, Chicago Bears got to go too. So does Baylor. Baylor's got to go. Yeah, there's no doubt. You know, um, all of the, the Sooners, Oklahoma, they were cheaters. The Sooners were the people that jumped the line. We're going to celebrate that. Are we going to celebrate that, Clay? we got to get rid of it. it, it I, I, just, I, I sometimes do. I look around and I just think it's not even necessarily the decision to change it. It's that who are the people that are so offended by the use of the night, right? Like allowing those people to have a victory in any way to me sends a message of absurdity 
ruling this country. It, it, like People are so perpetually offended by everything. To me, the decision to change and giving these people a, a victory – uh, whoever they were who were like, oh my God, we can't condemn. Like, don't go to Holy Cross if you're offended by the Crusades. Maybe pick a school that isn't religiously affiliated. Just a crazy idea uh, I'm tossing out there. Yeah, you know, I, I would agree with you, but at night when I close my eyes, I dream about the atrocities of 1,500 years ago. <laughs> and I just can't reconcile enjoying Holy Cross football in Division One AAA or whatever the hell they are in 2018. And and that really is the problem. There's lots of global atrocities right now that we can worry about as opposed to the Crusaders and Gordy Lockbaum, who was one of the greatest college football players of all time for Holy Cross back in the day. And I'm sure Gordy is not pleased about this. I'm sure he's not indeed. Petros Papadegas, we will talk to you next week. I'm so angry now. Getting him off on a good foot. You can listen to him on AM570 Sports this afternoon, as many of you will be doing. In L.A., Eddie Garcia. What's shaking, my man? Okay, well, let's start off with news from the NBA, where the Cleveland Cavaliers announced that head coach Tyron Lue is going to be away from the team due to health concerns. He's going to be out indefinitely, reportedly dealing with chest pains and loss of sleep, among other things. On the court, without their head coach, the Cavaliers beat the Bucks 124-117. LeBron James with a triple-double, 40 points, 12 rebounds, and 11 assists. And Kevin Love returned to the Cavs lineup after missing six weeks with a broken hand. He had 18 points in 25 minutes. Spurs beat the shorthanded Warriors 89-75. San Antonio's won four in a row. They've gone from out of the playoffs to the fifth seat in the West thanks to that little winning streak. And Golden State did not have Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, or Klay Thompson in the lineup due to injury. Double overtime for the Heat to beat the Nuggets 145-141. Denver is now two games back of Minnesota in the race for that final playoff spot in the West. Baseball news, LA Dodgers all-star third baseman Justin Turner suffered a fractured wrist after being hit by a pitch Monday night in a spring training game. He's expected to miss several weeks. This report's brought to you by True Car. Online car shopping can be confusing, but not anymore with True Price from True Car. Now you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car. So visit True Car and enjoy more confident car buying experience. And Clay, I don't know how popular baseball is in London, but Major League Baseball is going to have a game between the Red Sox and the Yankees in London in the summer of 2009. That would be the first ever game in Europe for Major League Baseball. They'll play at London's Olympic Stadium. Yeah, I think I'm going to miss that one. Uh, Final segment of the show up next, although I am going to go to London and watch the Titans play the Chargers this year. So am I. Yeah, have they officially announced the date yet? Uh, I'll have to ask my wife. I think it's the 21st or the 28th. We're going to go to that game. Up next, final segment of the show. That'll be awesome here on Fox Sports Radio. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to geico.com 15 minutes ago. Also, when you're hiring, you don't want to waste time sorting through dozens of irrelevant resumes. You want an efficient way to get to a short list of qualified candidates. That's why you need Indeed.com. Post a job in minutes, set up screener questions based on your job requirements, then zero in on qualified candidates using an intuitive online dashboard. Discover why 3 million businesses use Indeed for hiring. Post a job today at Indeed.com slash hire. Search for greatness. Search Indeed. And if you think a train will stop and seize your car on the tracks, you're right. It will. About a mile after it hits you, stop. Trains can't. This nickname uh, thing is turned into a huge debate at the College of Holy Cross. They have uh, voted to remove the night. This is what we were just talking about with Petros Papadakis. Uh, because it is considered offensive because of the Crusades that happened well, a long, long time ago. Uh, I found this detail pretty funny. 
Uh, students first voted to adopt the Crusader name in 1925 uh, at Holy Cross, replacing two Native American symbols. They also later changed the name of the student newspaper from the Tomahawk to the Crusader in 1955. Now Crusader is considered offensive. It's funny to me if they had stayed the Tomahawk, that would be considered offensive too. What this represents to me is the idea that whatever you change to, somebody else is going to be offended by too. And so, I mean, it's a freaking mascot. Do you... I, I, I think many times the country has gone insane, but when I see stories like this, it truly makes me think the country has gone insane. Is there anybody out there who sees a modern-day knight at Holy Cross? They had a guy dressed as a knight walking around on the sidelines and thinks, my God, this is so offensive. I can't believe that Holy Cross would do this. And it's not even necessarily... Uh, that that this is a debate. It's that there are people who are deciding to spend their effort and energy fighting a mascot. What is going on in your life that you decide when you're in college, you know what I'm going to do while I'm here? I'm going to fight to make sure that our night mascot is removed. Go chase girls. Go drink and have fun. Get a freaking life. Am I insane for believing that everybody who is obsessed with changing the night mascot is a total and complete loser? It seems to me to be beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you go to college and with all the things that are going on on your college campus, you arrive at Holy Cross and think, I can't go to this school until we eliminate the night mascot lest everybody out there think we endorse the Crusades that happened hundreds and hundreds of years ago. If you buy this logic, there's no doubt at all about it. Like, the Viking name would not be allowed. There's God forbid that we end up having to go through this over and over and over again. Guess what? Bad things happened in history. Deal with it. That would be my suggestion. Read a history book, you illiterate son of a bitch. Step up your vocab. Just a little bit. Learn. Small suggestion. Don't go to college and decide you're going to go to war with the existing mascot. Have fun. Meet people. Go out to bars. Take entertaining and energetic classes. Do things that you'll regret you didn't do. I guarantee you... If you were protesting the night mascot, at the age of 35, you're going to wake up one day and be like, why did I waste college worried about whether or not our mascot was politically correct enough? Stop being such an effing loser. I'm Clay Travis. This is Outkick the Coverage. We'll be back tomorrow on Fox Sports Radio. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.